0: I'll be reading today from Matthew 7, uh, verses 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Demikian, Duhan, this is the word of God.
1: Okay, thanks there so this is the end of a very long sermon uh jesus actually the the longest text that we read if you have bibles that have red letters In there, this is the longest continuous section of Red Letters that you'll find. Jesus is kind of rolling up his sleeves and saying, Hey, look, this is what it looks like to live life in the kingdom of God. If you want to be a follower of the God of the Bible, then this is what it means. He gathers his disciples together and he speaks to them. And you know, there's a larger crowd gathering around, listening as well. And at the very end of this teaching, as we just heard read we see that people respond in amazement at the authority with which he is taught. It's almost like he's taken the microphone and dropped it, right? Um, Sort of, because usually when that happens in our cultural context, I'm trying to say, look at me, aren't I awesome? Bam, I've just dropped some knowledge on you and... This is kind of the opposite. Christ has come and he's spoken with such authority combined with this remarkable humility. The two combined together that the people themselves are amazed at what he has said. He's teaching in a way that the people who have all the degrees of the day have not been teaching there's something different about the person of Jesus his way of teaching but also the content and the gravitas that he brings when he says these words that's entirely distinctive the crowds are amazed because he teaches as one who has authority John Stott, who has a great commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, when he looks back at Matthew 5 through 7 and looks at this statement here by Matthew, who's written the book that people respond with amazement at his teaching, he looks back at the content that he's been dealing with in his commentary, and he says that's because Jesus has shown himself to have authority in all these different levels. For example... Jesus has authority as the Christ. In Matthew 5, 17, he said, I've come to fulfill the law. Not to abolish the prophets, but to fulfill it. So those of you who are biblical theologians know that the Old Testament is awaiting the people, a Messiah who would come, the anointed King of God, who would fulfill all the promises. Jesus comes here and says, that's me. I am the Christ, the Messiah, the one who's been a long-awaited, Teaching before you. Jesus has authority as the Savior. He, when He teaches, says He is the way of salvation. He pronounces blessings on people. This is what it looks like for you to be blessed. He has the authority of the, the Lord. Like he's a master who's expecting obedience from His people. The judge. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter My kingdom. He's judging people because he has the right to do it he's the son of god he talks about the will of my father and you might think well that was then this is now right i mean there's a group of people who are convinced that that is real and that there's a worldview that should say not only is christ the king but there is in fact a god but what about for today some of you know tim keller He's a pastor in Manhattan, and when he wrote The Reason for God a handful of years ago now, and he was doing his kind of book release, he was invited on the opposite coast by this little company called Google. I think most of you have heard of Google. Tech company, high-performing individuals, you know, 20, 30-somethings, and they have uh, an author come in every now and then and speak on a book release and they invited Tim Keller to come and to speak on the reason for God and you can look this up if you want to see the longer version of it but when he gets there the comment is made at the very beginning that it's the most people who had shown up to any talk at all over the way the reason for God he wants to say hey there's a rational construct. For believing that there is a God. And his basic argument kind of goes with, there, you have to have belief in there is a God or there is not a God. They both take belief. They're both kind of faith statements. That's the first rung. And the way he approaches it with them anyway is then he says, well, what about the second rung? Which has more evidence? You know, which is more, which takes more faith to believe in? That there is a God or that there isn't a God. And what he deals with is the rational way to come to the conclusion that, frankly, it takes more faith to believe there isn't a God than to believe that there is a God. This is what he's presenting. And the last rung for him and the one he spends the least amount of time on, because he does a lot of unpacking of those things, is that really, at the end of the day, certainty, which is what we're all after, isn't going to come until you trust in that God. If you're looking for all that certainty, it probably won't come until you say yes to Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Look, if you want to build on a firm foundation, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but until you trust in me and walk in these ways, you put your faith into practice, you're just building on sand. Keller makes the observation that in this tech world with Google and others, the idea when he was a young kid that technology would wash God away, that God was just building your house on sand, has actually been the opposite. As technology has come in and around the world, people's desire for God has correspondingly increased because those answers that we're looking for are not answered by technological improvements. You could discover everything you want. I mean, has anybody here, a child of social media, found out that their heart's desires have been fulfilled by a post that you read or a comment that somebody made? Or, in fact, by placing your trust in that, do you find the opposite is happening? Your life is not built on a sure foundation at all because it changes like that. Our cancel culture, you are no longer relevant. Gone. What are you building your life on? And Jesus here says, you have a choice. You can build your life on rock, a sure foundation, or sand. And when the storms of life come, well, that will show what your house has been built on. What kind of foundation are you building on? So how do you build your house on rock? Well, Jesus makes it very clear Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on rock. So the answer to the question according to Jesus is hearing my words and putting them into practice. Jesus says you want to build on a firm foundation. This is how you do it. Most of you I would suspect if you uh, have, have children. You want your kids to grow up in a way that is creating the best possible foundation for their life. You want them to thrive. And even if you don't have kids, you can imagine that or you can remember when you were. And maybe you were in a house, house of parents who really loved you. And th- what they're wanting you to do is build a life that is, that is going to, to stand and thrive. When we first moved into our our little uh, starter home a handful of years ago, I remember somebody knocking on the door. It felt like it was within the first few weeks. And this was a salesman who came in, and he was going to test our water. Has anybody had this happen to them before? You know, knock on the door, and we're uh, going to test your water. Now, we had, I think, three kids at at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, How many kids did we have then? It, it was, they were young. They were super young, so maybe 642 and expecting another. And you want, you, know, you want to make sure that your kids grow up healthy and in and, and good condition. So when this person came on the door, we we're brand-new homeowners, by the way. We never thought we'd own a home. That wasn't our plan, but there we are. We have it, and we've got kids. And he knocks on the door, and he says, hey, look, I can test your water, and we can see how pure or impure your water is. They say, oh, well, that sounds like a good idea. So he comes in, and he takes a, you know, sample of our water, and then he says, here's a sample with this filtration system. And, you know, first, you know, here's here's the filtration system, and you put it in, it's like clear or whatever. Here's your water without the filtration, and it looks like the Ohio River. (laughs) Has anybody ever had this done to them before? And you're like, whoa, that is terrible stuff. I don't want my kid I want my kids to thrive. And you got limited income, never just hardly making any money, barely getting into the house. And then of course this guy says, "Have I got a deal for you? You can you this filtration system can be yours for x number of money." And it's like that is more than we could possibly afford. But my kids are drinking this stuff. They'll die. And then and then you know, you're thinking, "But Okay, this is city water, and there's lots of people who've grown up in Mason and don't appear to be dying. But at the same time, I want my kids to be healthy. And then it's always wonderful, too, when they say, When I walk out this door, this deal is done. And you're sitting there in a corner trying to talk with hushed voices and make a decision. And I made all kinds of decisions after that guy left about ever listening to salesmen again in my life. Putting me in this point of stress. I'm going to ruin my kids if I don't buy the filtration system. Which we didn't do. But the point is you want your kids to thrive. You want to You want people around you, you want yourself to be building a sure foundation, right? And you have to make choices about what that looks like. Jesus knows that because in his day, just like ours, nothing new under the sun. There's all kinds of options for your life. Which way are you going to choose? And he just got through teaching about two roads, two pathways, a very broad one that a lot of people take. And a very narrow one he says take the narrow path because its end is life and it's a sure foundation and what that looks like then is to build your life on me but it's not just listening to jesus words it's doing them you know you read this in james as well you all will be familiar with this don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says that's what jesus is saying there's a lot of people who've got tons of knowledge about who jesus is and maybe even what the bible says and that alone is not what it means to walk in god's kingdom you know who else has lots of knowledge about who jesus is the the demons right you think they're hanging out in eternity with christ right now no no They know everything. So if you're just stuck at knowledge of Jesus, clearly that doesn't mean you're walking in the kingdom. And there's a conviction there too, right? Faith, theologians tell us, is content. You have to have knowledge. And then you have a conviction that that knowledge is actually true. Do the demons qualify? Do they believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah, they do. So, okay. Knowledge In conviction, what's the missing component in the life of said demon? Trust. I am going to yield my life to you. You are going to be the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, the Judge, the Son of God. You're the one I'm following. And trust always leads to action. That's something They don't have, but Jesus is saying, be careful, remember? Lord, Lord, you say, Lord, Lord, you do these things, but I never knew you. Those people never really trusted Christ. What did they trust? Their own accomplishments. And Jesus says, that is like sand. It will wash away. You have to put your faith in me, in me alone. And what that means is trusting action, living it out in life. That's what a firm foundation is. And that is the weight of wisdom. I know people don't like the word stupid. Probably for a good reason that maybe you say, don't say that. Well, then try foolish. You want to be foolish? Build your house on sand. Wise, which is accumulated knowledge, correctly applied. Build your life like this, Jesus says. Don't just listen to my words, but do them. Put them into practice. And we need to feel the weight of these words because Jesus is speaking to whom? His disciples primarily, he gathers them together. So, kind of churchgoers, I mean, they're figuring things out, they're figuring their way, but he says, careful, you don't build your life on sand. You need to not just listen to my words, but you need to do them. That is the firm foundation, that is the solid rock. And at least for me, when I read these, I feel the weight of those words, or I ought to, am i really putting jesus words into practice or am i just listening to them checking off boxes going through the motions or giving verbal assent to something that isn't changing the way i actually think about life but live it what i do my behavior and jesus has been pressing this on the whole way so just to give a review what is Jesus talking about? Now, you could say the whole uh, reveal God's word is certainly in view here, but he's just given a message. And at the end, he says, put these things into practice. So contextually, here's the kind of things he's talking about. If you can read those, it's, very, it's a little smaller in there too. But for example, he starts off by saying, here's what you ought to value in the Beatitudes, poverty of spirit. There's no pride in God's kingdom You don't don't lead with that critical spirit that comes from saying, look what I've done. You can't do that. You're not putting God's word into practice as you find that spirit arising in you. You you value mourning. So it's not just in the Christian life, if you really want to put Jesus' words into practice, that you go around singing victory in Jesus only. Yeah, it's true. You, you do. You rejoice with those you rejoice who are rejoicing and you mourn. There's a whole book called Lamentations. And I don't think the American church likes it very much. At least certain parts of the American church. It just says sit there and be sad and cry for a whole book. That's it. And that book represents a whole generation of people who mourned in sorrow looking forward. But they were sad mourn with those who mourn meekness right this kind of this gentleness as we said that ought to typify you're putting jesus words into practice you ought to be a gentle person mercy not demanding from others but giving grace perhaps even where it's undeserved purity blessed are the pure in heart they'll see god You put God's words in practice if you are a pure person. If you're kind of the person who comes up here and we were to project here your heart onto the screen or the last 24 hours of your life and you're like, "Ah, I got nothing to fear. What if we took that? The thoughts or even the actions and everybody just had a chance to sit here and eat some popcorn and watch what you did. (laughs) You might be horrified. I know I would be peacemaking, that's what you value. You don't just talk about it, you do it. It's not peace faking, pretending everything's okay when it's not. It's making peace, which part of it means stepping into places where there's conflict and showing these other values, even valuing persecution. Blessed are you when you persecute. That's just the Beatitudes. But Jesus goes on to say things like, don't be angry with your brother. You want to build your life on a rock? Put my words into practice. Don't be angry. With people. With your brother and your sister. You know, don't look at a woman lustfully. You know, don't, 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 don't look at these images or entertain these ideas. And of course it goes both ways too. But that's how you put it into practice. Give to somebody who asks you. And there's context behind each of these, I know. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Wow, you want to put your faith into practice? Love your enemies enemies pray for those who persecute you I mean do you have real enemies frenemies maybe I don't know who are you praying for them are you praying for the desire to pray for them and what way are you tangibly showing love to people who according to the world standards you ought to be throwing darts at now that makes you distinctive giving to the needy praying fasting Storing up treasures in heaven. Don't worry. (laughs) Jesus says, hey, don't worry. God's got this, right? If you're really putting Jesus' words into practice, there's kind of a freedom that can come from that. And if, if you wonder where mental health fits into it, sign up for the seminar. Do not judge without first judging yourself. I put that one on there. Because when we say just don't judge, the context there is without starting with yourself first. Ask, seek, knock, enter the small gate and walk the narrow road. Watch out for false prophets. If you wonder what any of these things mean, go back and listen to the messages. Because Jesus has been saying this is what it looks like if you want to say I'm a son or a daughter of God and live in my kingdom. Then and now. So This image he gives of building a house, a picture of your life on rock or sand, is not without a context. Go back and look. Are you putting these things into practice? And if you are not, then it's like you're building on sand. And when the storms of life come, when challenges arise, when things don't go according to plan, then it's very revealing about whether you're building on a foundation of rock or sand. If everything just falls away and your life has been built on this, you will come completely undone. Now, I had a friend, as I've referred to sometime in the past, too, I went to college with. I was a little closer to her husband. Chad and Christy Rush were their name. And Christy, I wasn't sure where she stood necessarily with the Lord during my college years, but... She apparently had a very vibrant faith and she was diagnosed with cancer and they had a handful of kids. They had adopted some children as well and um, probably young 30s, late 20s when she was diagnosed and it was, she started writing about her journey and it was very, very difficult. But this unlocked uh, faith in her but also became a, a rallying point for other people who were struggling with storms of life, too, just through the content of her words. So when difficulties arise, and she, she just went on this journey with Christ. And here's one of her journal entries, uh, because she says, I want to be the girl with the no-ug story, as she called it. You got uggs in life, storms arise, like ug. <laughs> she wanted to be the girl with the no-ug story. With only victories, with only easy stuff, with only things that if you saw this on Facebook, it would take 0.1 seconds to click the like button. And she was going to another appointment uh, for chemo. She was listening. She says to a CD that she'd made last spring for the girls who were in her Bible study. There's a song on it called Hallelujah. And here's the first part of the chorus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, whatever's in front of me, help me to sing Hallelujah. You know what my prayer was to God right after I pulled into the parking spot and the song stopped there? Please don't let this song be a preparation for any news that I hear today. Does that sound like the prayer of a superhero? Nope. What is that prayer? It's the honest prayer of a girl who's been walking this road for a long time and knows what it's like to hear easy news and what it's like to hear hard news. And who knows which news She'd take each and every day, if it were her choice. So much of life is, as we know, unpredictable and unknown. Think of parenting. Kids and grandkids are not predictable. Who they become is yet to be seen. Think of work. Downturns and reorgs can happen in a flash. Think of dating relationships. You wonder if someone is out there who really compliments you, but you haven't found them yet. And holidays, a time when family comes together, either for good or bad. The path of life, an unexpected loss, a broken marriage. She is not the only one, she says, with Uggs in her story. Several hours later, she writes when I got back into my van after hearing hard news. The song wasn't done yet. I'll admit that I turned it off as soon as I realized that it was still on. (laughs) But not before the second part of the chorus came. While it may seem similar to the first, it's totally different. Here's the second part. Hallelujah, hallelujah, whatever's in front of me, I'll choose to sing hallelujah. The first part asks God to work in our minds and hearts and spirits to empower us to face, face each and every circumstance with the ability and the desire to praise him. The second part tells God that you'll cooperate with him and you'll actually do it. The first is the recognition that no matter what news is heard, no matter what circumstances come into our lives, there's always something, many, many, many things, in fact, to praise him for. The second is the commitment to actually do it, to willingly trade all the frustrations, sadness, and fears for the hope and the joy and the peace released by trusting in those promises. So for Christy, as she's wrestling with just her own health, but also being a mom and the prospect of potentially dying and leaving kids behind, her faith is pressed to say, am I going to continue to build it on rock instead of just sand? And for her, the rock was the promises offered in the scripture and the ability to trust in those, even when everything else around her seems to be going the opposite direction. Andre Nowen, some of you may recognize that name. He's, he's a great, great writer. He was in ministry for many years, and towards the waning year of his ministries, he went to a place where people had uh, mental and physical disabilities. And it was it a was hard process for him because he was in a place where he got accolades, he was acknowledged, he was an author. People appreciated his ministry to a group of, group of people who didn't care what he had done <laughs> at all. It doesn't matter what you are. And that was hard for him. He writes of kind of the crisis because was he building his life on his accomplishments and what people said or on Christ and loving other people even if they can't say it back to you or don't care. They did want him there and they appreciated him but not in the way others had. And he's writing about talking to somebody about death. And I think this is a very insightful quote from a book called The Wounded Healer. Every attempt to attach biblical hope to visible symptoms in our surroundings becomes a temptation when it prevents us from realizing that promises, not concrete successes, are the basis of Christian living. Many Christians have become disillusioned, bitter, or even hostile when years of hard work bear no fruit now, that can be anything, right? Years of hard work bear no fruit. What comes to mind when you think of that? Maybe ministry, maybe parenting, maybe a job, maybe a marriage. When little change is accomplished, building a vocation on the expectations of concrete results, which, by the way, is incredibly counterintuitive to our Procter & Gamble way of thinking. Measurable results. However conceived is like building a house on sand instead of on solid rock. And and I'm not setting aside, uh, I hope you hear me, like the value of planning and working hard and being efficient and productive. Okay, that's not what this message is about. This is about trusting in those things. Hope prevents us, if you're hoping, it prevents us from clinging to what we have and it frees us to move away from the safe place and enter unknown and fearful territory. That is, you can go in places you wouldn't normally go because you're hoping in something rather than just what the outcome is. There's a hope that can't be necessarily measured. And this might sound romantic, but when we enter with our fellow human beings into the fear of death, and are able to wait for that person right there leaving the safe safe place might turn out to be a very difficult act he's talking about the context of someone who's talking about death and he says if you really hope that something else is going on you can sit there in the uncomfortableness even to the level of death and that's a hard act it sounds romantic from up front doesn't it wow i want to do that but that's really hard and he goes on to say, in fact, it is an act of discipleship in which we follow the hard road of Christ. Who entered death with nothing but bare hope. That is the hope of the promises of God. That's what he, he faced death with that And so when Jesus comes and says these things, we know he's not just telling us to put his faith into practice. He himself did it when he went to the cross. God, I, I would prefer there's another way. <laughs> but not my will be done yours. And I will walk the hard, narrow road that says lay down your life. And enter into, for him, literally hell. The darkness of separation from God. Based on what? The promises of God. The assurance that this is the road I have put out for you. And that your story is not done yet. Even in the darkest of moments. So when we talk about putting your faith into practice, it's not just a list of to-dos. Which you can come across as. Don't, be, don't worry. Be gracious. Be kind. It's trust in Christ alone. And the promises he sets before you. And let that hope allow you to step into places that you never would otherwise. That's what it looks like to put your faith into practice. And we need to know the weight of those words, but at least for me, I think it's good to know the grace in these words also. There's a heaviness to these words. Put your faith into practice, but there's a grace in them as well. And here's what I mean by that. For you, if you're a follower of Christ, my guess is that you're going to start realizing that you've been building on something other than the sure foundation at points in your life. That there are times when storms come and you don't feel like you're the person who says, like we just sang, I will not be shaken. Worthy is the name of our Jesus. I will not be shaken. Did you sing those words with me? Did you think about the, the force of that meaning? No matter what comes, I, because I have built my life on, on solid ground. My, my guess is that each one of us, in fact, I know this, because God knows the human heart, and he says it's crafty and deceptive. And you, who are following my ways, as much as you intend to put your faith into practice, will at some point begin building on shifting sand. And when that happens, the grace is, as our lives end up kind of in rubble, we say, what am I really trusting in? Will Christ receive us back? Yes. Part of the journey of pilgrimage as a sojourner is recognizing how we continue to build idols in our lives you know john calvin said the heart is a an idol making factory you talk about productivity you just got like an assembly line of idols coming out all the time and that's not a firm foundation so one of the things we get when we say yes to christ is he begins to show us those idols we're trusting in they're never gonna they're never going to satisfy or fulfill And and I don't know about you, but you start thinking, oh, I got that one beat, and you move on. There's another one. That's part of the grace of this journey of walking with God until we breathe our last. And the assurance that we have that he is with us, even when we're putting our our trust sometimes in things that are shifting sand, is that he himself is the rock. (laughs) At the end of the day, he is the sure foundation himself. He's not just calling us. To do something not only that he hasn't done in terms of his life, but that he is sealed in eternity. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. Not, this isn't something that you have done. It's a gift of God that you've received in Christ Jesus. He is the sure foundation. He, behold, I've laid a cornerstone in Zion, the Messiah. You're like stones being built on the foundation. The foundation isn't just how awesome of a Christian you are. Believe me, that's sand. It's on how perfect Jesus was. He's the rock. He's the foundation. So even in the grace of kind of keep coming back, he we always come to him. I have built my hope on nothing less than Jesus' love, than Jesus' blood. Then he he is my righteousness. I am right with God because of what he has done. And so if you heard Joe mention it too, it's not just building on nothing less, but nothing more than his righteousness. You can't add to it. This little plan of life here is isn't the Jesus plus good works. Those flow from the foundation of Christ. He is the rock. You are not the rock. I mean, even in the actor sense of the word, it's clear you're not the rock. Only Christ is the only one. There's only one eternal son of God. And by virtue of his sacrifice, when we say, okay, I'm in, then you are given, as adopted children, all the rights and privileges he paid for by dying on the cross. That's the great mystery of the gospel. The only person who didn't deserve it is the one who got to pay the price of sin. And if you are a child of God, you want to walk in his ways, then come to Christ and do it again and again and again we talked about the necessary component of of confession and repentance in the Christian life that cycle we repent again and again we realize we're trusting in something that is sand God forgive me and then receive the forgiveness offered by him and then obey Put your faith into practice. And guess what? There's growth and there's victory and there will probably be failure again. And when you fail, are you out? No. Wisdom, by the way, is not doing everything right. It's recognizing when you have done something wrong and doing the thing that's right after that. And that is a lifelong process, isn't it? And some of us are wiser because we live a little bit longer. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, of course. So stop acting like a child and start acting like somebody who's in God's kingdom. When you recognize you've done wrong, confess it and know that Christ is sufficient for you. Now, if you forget that, guess what? We're taking the Lord's Supper. This is the proof that he is for you and not against you and that there was a price that was paid. The bread representing his body given for you The blood shed for you so that you could know forgiveness of sins. This is the pathway to life. And so when you take this, if you come forward, you're saying, I am a child of God. I know I am forgiven, and I am going to put my faith into practice when I walk out this door. I'm going to continue building on the sure foundation, and I can do that because of Christ, who is the rock. So this is a great time to be honest with God and confess your sins before him. I'll be up here, too, if you want to pray about anything. Please do that. Come on up. Let's do this thing. I got my sleeves rolled up already. Let's pray. The way that we do it is we invite you to come forward. We actually have some, some bread there that's already been pre-cut that I'll put out. And then there's also the grape juices in a, in a cup and... It's a little tricky to open up, but you'll figure it out. There's also a little wafer on the top if you would prefer to go that route. But if you come forward, take it back to your seat. Linger for prayer if you would like. Let's just be patient until all that is finished, and we'll take it together to signify our unity in Christ.